And I got my college email address to sign up for Facebook. So like, it was such this obscure thing. And now people are on it constantly. And the hard thing is mostly what you see are the best parts of everyone's life. You're seeing the great vacations. You're seeing when the kids are behaving. You're seeing the great meals that are being cooked. I mean, whatever the pictures are, most of the time, it's it's a good shot. Like it's a beautiful shot. And that's what we're ingrained. And that's how we've been for almost a decade of seeing these things over and over and assuming that's how life should be. So suddenly we feel like we have this standard in our culture because of social media and otherwise that we have to live up to the standard. And it seems like everyone else is living here. Like, of course, everyone takes one vacation a year. Mm. Of course, everyone has two cars. Of course, everyone lives in this certain size house. Like, this is like what you're supposed to do. And if I'm not meeting that, then the avenue of debt is right there for me to walk right down and get it because we think it's normal. And so I just kind of like to shake up that term uh, and be like, gosh, we have to shake out this what is normal because what's normal is broke. We're finding that 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And so when you're comparing your life to someone else's, especially on social media, you're really comparing it to make-believe because it's not the full picture. You're not getting the background story of it. You're getting one simple snapshot. And so I think it's just really dangerous when that becomes our normal life. And that's what we think normalcy is because it's not. Life is messy, life is hard, and life definitely doesn't look that beautiful, even though we try to make it like that. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and let's face it, today there are so many people that are struggling with their finances. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have been furloughed. Many people's income has gone down, and this pandemic has impacted them in such a way that has left them feeling fearful, uncertain anxious, and stressed on what's to come. So today I wanted to bring on the show an expert that will help you better your financial situation right now. And my guest today is Rachel Cruz, who is a number one New York Times bestselling author, host of the Rachel Cruz Show and the Rachel Cruz Show podcast. And Rachel helps people learn the proper ways to handle money and stay out of debt. She's authored three bestselling books, including Love Your Life, Not Theirs, and Smart Money, Smart Kids, which she co-wrote with her father, who many of you are going to recognize, Dave Ramsey. We're going to talk about budgeting. We're going to get into family, talk about finances, of course. And with a difficult situation happening around us, Rachel is going to share some of her top tips and strategies on how people can effectively manage their money and be financially secure until they live a life that is debt-free. So if you are one of the many who has gotten affected financially during these difficult times and you are having a hard time with planning, handling the budget for yourself and or your family, then this episode is perfect for you. So let's get this much needed conversation going and welcome Rachel Cruz to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Rachel, welcome to the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And you know, so of course, I'm sure you get this question a lot. I have to ask it because I'm a huge fan, obviously, of your dad, you know, from his slogans to his personality to his books. What was it like growing up with Dave Ramsey as your dad? Like, did he give you an allowance? Did you have like budget? Did you have the envelope system for like how you (laughs) want to buy ice cream and stuff? Like how'd that work? 
<laughs> totally. I know. I think people assume that we were like obsessed with money and that I had like mutual funds birthday parties and we did <laughs> budget camps in the summer and all that. And thankfully that was not the case. Uh, mom and dad obviously were really intentional with teaching us how money works, uh, but it was not something that they obsessed over. But they did implement some things like you were saying earlier. Uh, we were in fact never given an allowance. We were always on commission. So you work, you get paid, you don't work, you don't get paid. And when you make the money, they divided it up or we had two as kids. We had three envelopes and it was give, save and spend. And that's what it was. And then we transitioned, obviously, like when I got older as a teenager, had my own checking accounts and had to manage that, budget that. So yeah, they, they definitely taught us these life lessons. And I think it's really good for parents to hear. I heard uh, Andy Andrews once say, that you're not just trying to raise good kids, you're trying to raise kids to become good adults. And I love that. And so it's like, what tools can you give your kids for them to win out? It's not just for them to perform and be these like good little kids. It's to help them become successful adults later in life. And I feel like mom and dad did that really, really well. I think you are a creature of your environment. I imagined it wasn't like you guys weren't having like the, the baby step birthday party or like debt-free you know, Sunday. <laughs> just from what I know about your family, they practice what they preach, right? And that had to have paid dividends, not only growing up, but just even into your career and how you've raised your family and, you know, being, you know, your own marriage and your kids and everything. Okay. I want to talk like pre-Ramsey. What did Rachel like to do for fun before you got involved in the family business? Yeah. Great question. Well, I started all of this like the week after I graduated college. So I was like, I've been in it for yeah. a decade now. So that's like adult wise, like that has been my career. It really has been. Uh, yeah. I mean, in high school I did sports. Uh, I cheered. I did lacrosse. No one would ever really know that. I was a lacrosse player. Wow. Ball I'm in Baltimore. Lacrosse is huge out here. I the left attack wing. And I was pretty aggressive. I was pretty aggressive. <laughs> uh, I did that. And then in college, obviously, I was not a collegiate athlete. So I did not do sports in college. But I went to the University of Tennessee. And I was really, I was in a sorority, Kyle Omega. And then I did Young Life, which is a ministry right. where college students go into high schools mm -hmm. and kind of like mentor and show yep. high schoolers Jesus. And right. so I did that. That's where I met my husband, actually. So a lot of my friends and community kind of came out of that ministry in that circle. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of, kind of where I was at beforehand. You know, it's kind of funny because I think I'm sure people see you now and that's all they know you as is like, you know, this person who talks about budgeting and comparison and, and family and, but they forget that like everybody grows up, everybody has fun. And I think it's awesome that you play the cross. Like I said, I'm in Baltimore, the cross is huge out here, but I think the one thing you probably didn't have growing up was social media and we see so many people in this day and age, whether they're in college or not, fall into this comparison trap. And, you know, with, with my clientele and the people I coach, I talk to them about comparison as far as self-esteem, self-worth, that sort of thing. I know the one thing that you're, you talk about is like people who make purchases based on comparing themselves to social media and how they can create a lot of debt. So what I wanted to ask is, why do you think people fall into this comparison trap with impulsive spending and how can we prevent it? Yeah. I mean, I think social media has become so normalized. Like it's a part of our everyday life. And I'm even I hate to say, it, but it's true. I'm like, I'll look up one time and just have my phones out and I'm on Instagram. And I'm like, I don't even remember getting, I don't even remember opening my phone, putting in the password, clicking on this app. Like it's just crazy how freaking ingrained it is mm. in our heads. It's such a part of our life. And I think when you become uh, when it becomes so normalized, there's not these red flags, right? It was different back. Like you're saying, I mean, I was I remember I, when I got into college, I was so excited to get not just into college, but to get a college email address because it was right when Facebook came out and, and I got my college email address to sign up for Facebook. So like 
it was such this obscure thing. And now people are on it constantly. And the hard thing is mostly what you see are the best parts of everyone's life. You're seeing the great vacations. You're seeing when the kids are behaving. You're seeing the great meals that are being cooked. I mean, whatever the pictures are, most of the time, it's it's a good shot. Like, it's a beautiful shot. And that's what we're ingrained, and that's how we've been for almost a decade of seeing these things over and over and assuming that's how life should be. So suddenly, we feel like we have this standard in our culture because of social media and otherwise that we have to live up to the standard. And it seems like everyone else is living here. Like, of course, everyone takes one vacation a year. Mm. Of course, everyone has two cars. Of course, everyone lives in this certain size house. Like, this is like what you're supposed to do. And if I'm not meeting that, then the avenue of debt is right there for me to walk right down and get it because we think it's normal. And so I just kind of like to shake up that term uh, and be like, gosh, we have to shake out this what is normal because what's normal is broke. We're finding that 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And so when you're comparing your life to someone else's, especially on social media, you're really comparing it to make-believe because it's not the full picture. You're not getting the background story of it. You're getting one simple snapshot. And so I think it's just really dangerous when that becomes our normal life. And that's what we think normalcy is because it's not. Life is messy, life is hard, and life definitely doesn't look that beautiful, even though we try to make it like that. And I think, you know, just like anything else, no matter what you're dealing with in life, I think the more in tune you can be with yourself and creating values and habits, you know, for who you are, it can then, it'll then translate into the person you, you marry and your family, and then you can create like family values and family budgeting and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, going back to social media, I, we compare our struggles to, to people's highlight reels all the time. And we don't realize that that person might have these nice cars, these nice houses, but they might also be in like three, $400,000 in debt, right? You just never know. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. So getting back to like the family, like family finance, I know is like one of the biggest causes of tension and it can be extremely hard to balance because especially if there's different views on money, if there's different views on spending, what suggestions do you have for people you know, to do this in an effective way that can, you know, create growth and not chaos. So I think within uh, like a, a married couple situation, yeah, I always stress like you have to get on the same page. You mm. really do. It is so, so hard to win financially if you're on two separate lanes and you're driving not towards the same goal. You win faster, you win more collectively. There's so much more unity in your marriage when you're working together as a team. And when it comes to money, you know, it's difficult because one person in the marriage usually loves the idea of budgeting. They love the idea of having this financial goal to, to go and do something great. And they want to be on board. They want to, they love the details. And the other one's usually like, oh, I'm good. Like, I just want to have fun. Like, I'm not stressed out about all this. And you're so like wound up about it. And so finding these two, these yeah, taking these two people and bridging them together can be really difficult. So I always encourage couples, hey, that, cup, that person in the relationship that's really good at money, they really do, they enjoy it, they love it, it's in their strengths, let them do the first budget. Let them knock out that first monthly budget and come and bring it to the spouse who doesn't care as much. But that other spouse has to look at the budget. They have to actually, I always say, change something in the budget. They have to get involved. So let each other play within your strengths because usually the, the we call it the free spirit, but the one that's like, oh, everything's fine. They usually add more fun and more life uh, to, to the process as well. So you both have strengths. You both have weaknesses. Neither is right or wrong, but learning to work together. And I'm telling you, if you can agree on your money, you're agreeing on more than just money. You're mm. agreeing on your hopes, on your dreams, and your fears. So much of it. Money is just a tool to create a life that we love. It is not life, right? We're not working just to make money and that's it and hoard it and keep it all. 
No, it's to use to, to create this life that you long for. And so finding that life together and working towards that together, it's just, it's tremendous. And again, people win with money faster when they do it together. Right. What I, and I, I agree with you so much. And what I'm hearing you say too, is that it's not just about money, right? And I think people, when they're listening to this and anybody, if they just hear, Ooh, work on money together, it might be, they might be a little turned off. I think the bigger win is you're also going to improve your communication. You're also going to improve your growth as a couple. You're also going to improve, you know, working as a team and you're going to have other goals that are going to come to fruition. Like going on a vacation isn't so much a quote unquote, might not be like a, a direct money goal. I mean, obviously you need the money to do it. It's, you know, maybe a personal, maybe it's a dream, but if you can put together a solid budget and a foundation for money, that will get you to that vacation, right? So that long-term you're not, you know, putting a, a cruise on a credit card than having to pay it off. So especially like right now, I think there's a lot of families that have lost a lot. They've lost a lot of income. They've lost a lot of you know money. I mean, even probably had to dig into some retirement accounts. I know the one thing I heard, you know, you and your dad say, I think it was on Good Morning America a few months ago was talking about just like owning the four walls, like taking care of that first. Because I think sometimes they people get to a place and they, they get so concerned with like, oh, like, Am I still following these steps? What if I can't put money away? But at, at some point, you just have to be like, you know what? Like, I need to take care of my family and make sure that we can survive. So talk a bit about what approach people can take to be more at ease with it. Yeah, for sure. Well, if you've been furloughed or laid off, you're kind of in an emergency situation is what I would say. Mm. And that's to stop everything and focus on, yes, what we call the four walls. So that's food, shelter, utilities, and transportation. What's not in there is the MasterCard bill, right? What's in there is not the student loan bill. Like focus on that. That is where your money needs to go first and mm. foremost. Uh, again, cause it's that solid foundation you're putting under because you don't want to lose, you know, you, you not pay your light bill, but you're current on the credit card. Like, no, your priorities have to be right. And that is taking care of your family. So covering those four walls first. And then if you're able to uh, be uh, consistent on your bills and stay current, then that's great but I don't want you trying to pay off a lot of debt right now. I want you to conserve cash. So after those four walls are paid off, you're current on all of your bills, then just stockpile cash and just save until, until you can replace that income. So whether uh, it's two or three part-time jobs you're going to have to get, or maybe you replace a career, whatever it looks like, uh, but getting that income back and steady, then start paying off debt. So while there are you know, 34 million Americans unemployed, there also are still, you know, hundreds of millions that are employed and they are still working. So if that is you and you haven't lost your job, then of course, making sure your four walls are covered, but you can still go on with the plan and keep paying off debt and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, those that have lost a job, uh, man, it is a stressful time. And so what you have to control are the controllables. What you can control is the money that you have, or if you have any money coming in from any part-time job or even unemployment, focusing on that. So control what you can control and don't make decisions based out of fear. Uh, a lot of people, it's really easy to do that because it is a very scary time, but really, really focus on facts over fear. Yeah. And, and I know you, you, you all love the term snowball, right? And I think when we focus and, and we act on fear, that snowball becomes a lot bigger, right? And I've seen it just in alcohol sales are up four or 500% because people are scared and they're like, oh, I'm going to drink more. And, you know, people are turning to other addictions and they're eating poor and they're spending on Amazon out of fear. Like they're like, Oh, I don't know. I might not have the, be able to have this opportunity again, or the world might end or whatever it is. So I might as well just spend, 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 drink, drink, drink. And we all know that's not the case. You want to be able to position yourself where you can look back six months from now and be like, wow, I'm so thankful that, you know, I focus more on my health. I focus more on my family. I focus more on my relationships and not, you know, the latter. So 
you know, being somebody, I know you're busy, you're a mom, you have kids, you're married, you got the Rachel Cruz show. I know you do a lot, um, you know, outside of that with, with Ramsey, what kind of things do you do on a daily basis to protect your energy and make sure that you're taking care of Rachel so that you can then, you know, be a beacon of light to everybody else? I think just finding like me time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so usually in the morning, waking up early, my husband usually goes on a run. And so I'll kind of like, I'll get a cup of coffee. We, um, we put a Keurig in our room and it's like been the best decision. That's awesome. <laughs> so I like have a Keurig <laughs> in my room with like coffee cups and stuff. So I literally go back in bed with a cup of coffee. Oh, but just the silence, uh, especially before the kids get up. And then it's time for Winston, you know, Winston and I, we have great conversation. Like we actually get to talk and hang out. Cause usually by the end of the day, after kids are down and asleep and the kitchen's clean and all that, we're exhausted. Um, so having that energy in the morning is mm. really, really huge. And would you say like you found that having that connection time like that with you and your husband has really solidified your relationship? Because I feel like the more connected you are to your partner, your spouse, the easier these conversations are going to be because otherwise if you're disconnected and you kind of have like, you know, some walls up, you know, you're going to kind of tiptoe around. Am I right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. We've, we've been in a place for um, probably in the last, I'd say year, year and a half where we've really worked through counseling too. Amen. Yeah. Like, uh, of being known and being way more vulnerable than we ever have been in 10 years of marriage and like, so going there. And I feel like our conversations in the morning allow us the time and the space to do that and actually have, good heartfelt emotional conversation so it does there is a richness there when you can connect with your spouse on a deeper level it can be hard it can be difficult it's not always fun because sometimes the answers you get is not the answers you want but the hardship and all of that i don't think pain has to be the only tool you can learn from but it's a great teacher and so going there with your spouse though creates that level of intimacy and connection but you have to make the space and time for those to happen and so yeah for us it's those mornings so whether it's good conversation, whether it's just prayer, whether it's just being together, um, that's a huge thing for us. And yeah, I think it's, it, it connects us so, so deeply. And, and I'm thankful for that. And thankful for a husband who engages that. So husbands out there, <laughs> your wives want you to engage. And so like praise hands for husbands that do. <laughs> well, being in alignment is everything, right? And, yeah. and just being connected on all levels so that these, those connections, when you do work at that, become a lot easier because the foundation and the roots are already kind of there. It's just about like bringing them out. So the baby steps, I want to kind of get into something that I think just in my own personal experience, I, I'm a huge supporter of them. And I know many are, I, I'm pretty sure everybody can agree to the baby steps. Like if you follow them, we could all agree. That's the right thing to do. No debt, save for retirement, give. So what would you tell like a family or somebody that's like quite overwhelming? They might have like three or four kids and they might not, they might just be started you know, early on in their careers and they can't like live completely debt free. Is there anything that like any steps you got, you take that are like non-negotiable like, all right, if you can't do this, at least do these two or three things. Yeah. Well, the baby steps, I think it's a great thing because it's these bite-sized steps. Mm -hmm. So I would just honestly start them on one and say, get a thousand dollar emergency fund. So whatever you can do, whatever you can sell, whatever part-time job you can take extra overtime, anything you can do to get a thousand dollars and that's always, it's the easiest step because it's a thousand dollars. And if you're emotionally committed, you can find a thousand dollars, whether it's cutting things out of your lifestyle, whether again, it's bringing money, selling, selling stuff, whatever you can get that thousand dollars, but it's also the hardest step because you're saying, okay, I'm going to change the way I'm handling my money. I'm going to change my habits. I'm going to change my viewpoint. I'm going to change so much of my behavior. 
that it's uncomfortable. It's hard to change. Change is not fun. We like doing the same thing. We like driving the same way to work. We like to sit in the same place at church. Like we always, we do the same thing. And so that change can be very difficult. But when you finish that first step, I think it is amazing to say, wow, okay, we can do this. We like, we're starting this new process in this journey. So honestly, I mean, I would take people right through that and just say, okay, get that thousand dollars and then start working your way out of debt. Um, because I think the hard thing is, is that people, you, you, they don't have the belief that they can do it. And when you don't have the hope, when you don't have the belief, it can be very daunting and it's, and it's hopeless. And so you have to believe that you can change. And I can tell you after 10 years of this work hearing, I mean, count, thousands, tens of thousands of stories of families at every income level, at every debt level, like I've heard it all. And it starts with this one word and it's hope that they mm -hmm. have the hope that they can change and do something different. So yeah, I mean, I would walk them right through. I mean, obviously doing a budget and that was, that's true no matter what baby stuff you're on, but being very, very intentional with where your money's going and really focusing on your needs, like those for walls versus your wants. And there's a lot of things that we do in life and it's out of just wants. I mean, it's out and you don't need it. But in American culture, I feel like so many things we feel like are needs. So cut that lifestyle, cut it, um, because it's going to be so worth it in the long run when you are making an income and you don't have debt and you have savings in the bank. You have options and choices and freedom at that point that you may not have when you're stuck in this rat wheel of the American dream that has an average of, you know, $15,000 of credit card debt. I mean, I can go through all the statistics of debt in America today, but I'm like, that's it. It's like we're running yeah. this rat race. And we're running it, honestly, not to go on a tangent here, but that lifestyle level is so huge for people to understand. So I'm like, we, if, I mean, you can walk into anyone's house, probably including mine. I'm like, there's just so much crap. Like there's just stuff we have. We have so many clothes. We have so much makeup. Like we have so, just stuff. It's just stuff. And I'm like, and that's, that's a need that I feel like a lot of us, including myself, feel like we have to fill sometimes. Oh, if I could just make that Amazon purchase, that feels good. Or during quarantine, all these great stores had sales. So, oh, potterybarn.com. Okay, I'll get, I'll get a new set of candles. Like whatever it is, it's like this little dopamine, you know, hit that we yep. have in the system and we think it's going to fulfill us. And what it ends up doing is completely crashing us financially uh, because we're not having boundaries and we're not having the discipline to say no. So really with that budget, cutting everything out and really focusing on the sacrifice part uh, and working your way out of debt. One of the hardest first steps is to admit you have a problem. Do you think there's a lot of shame in that with, with money? Because money is like one of those things that's like a big comparison thing. It's like, oh, how much money do you make? What kind of car do you drive? What kind of house do you have? Do you think there's a lot of shame in someone raising their hand and being like, you know what? Like I'm in $200,000 in debt. I don't drive that car on Instagram. And do you believe in that? Oh, 100%. So much shame is, is wrapped up in this topic because it, become, because it becomes part of your identity. Mm. When you strip that all away, then it's kind of the scary question of, okay, who am I? really like, okay, if I do have all this debt, I don't own anything that's in my house right now or the cars that I'm driving, the vacations I'm taking, like it starts to mess with you. It really, really does. But I think that there's a cleansing that goes on. that's really, really healthy. And I think you have to realize in a, this may be an unhealthy way to look at it, but to realize that you're not abnormal. Like mm. when you are that far in debt and the car in the driveway has payments on it and you can't, you know, you are living paycheck to paycheck. Like that's normal. Majority of people that you see in your neighborhood, that's the way they're living. So you're not like this obscure, terrible person by doing it. You've just fallen into some bad habits. And so, yeah, it takes humility to kind of raise your hand and say, you know what, the way I've been doing things isn't working. And you have to get to that moment where you're like, I'm just sick and tired of living this way. And when you hit that point, that's when the change is worth it. But yeah, me sitting here saying, 
don't go on vacation, sell everything you have. You're like, okay. Like if the pain is not deep enough, then the sacrifice may not be. So there is a level you have to get, I think personally, where you say, okay, I'm done. Like I can't do this anymore. And when you get to that point, that's when change happens. I agree a hundred percent. And I think you have to have something greater than you, greater that you're fighting for. I would love to get your your view on this because people would look at someone like yourself and you got a lot going on. You have a very successful show. You work obviously for an amazing company and a family business and you got a great family. And they think Rachel Cruz never hits adversity, never goes through hard times. And we all know that's not true. So talk about a time that has caused you some adversity. What was it and kind of how'd you handle it? It was a, it was a business situation and it was really, really difficult. And uh, I sit on our operating board and there's about 12 of us on it. And I think for me, I realized more than ever during this really hard decision of, man, hearing the wisdom of every person around that table who I trust mm. and I know their walk with the Lord. Like I, I trust who they are in the office, out of the office, all of it. And hearing them having to make this hard decision and coming to that conclusion was, was one that I realized, especially as a believer, I'm like, man, there is wisdom and counsel. And you said it right before, but the community aspect is so it's so massive. And so that's what I would say. So whether it's struggles we have with our marriage or our parenting, a business thing, like we bring people in. And again, I said like being known has been the theme of our life for like the last probably year and a half, two years of our marriage. But we've done like with friendships, I mean, you just have to be known. And so that's, that's a big part of that community piece. So again, whether it's a, it's a personal thing in your personal life or your work life, wherever you are, bring people in. There's such wisdom and counsel of people that you trust. Yeah. And I, the, the power of community I was talking with John Deloney and we were talking about the whole notion of how community can be like the saving grace and like loneliness, it, what it does to the brain, the effects of it and the, how it can pretty much destroy people when they're lonely and they're not around other people. So where can people, if they want to get more of like, you know, Rachel Cruz, obviously you're, you're all over the internet on your show and in your books and on Instagram, but you know, what else do you have going on that the audience should know about? I know you, you have like Ramsey has a 14 day, the, what is it? The financial, financial piece is 14 yeah, days for free, trial. right? Let's say that go to dayramsey.com slash hope. And we have our 14 day free trial of our nine less than financial peace university. So do that. I would say binge watch, um, you know, any videos that we have on YouTube, there's lots of free content out there, um, to get started, but honestly, that financial peace university, get that, get signed up with that because that's going to walk you through this plan to really get in control of your money. Rachel, I want to thank you so much for, for hopping on. I know your, your time is valuable and I'm incredibly honored to, to have been able to talk to you. And for those listening, either reach out to her or get her website on these tools because money is there and it's not going away. And being able to manage it with intention, with strategy, with you know proper dedication is what's going to set yourself apart from those that don't and not be a statistic of the 78% of Americans who are living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, if you can control your money and really establish some behaviors and habits that'll point it in a positive way, you'll win long-term. So if you do the necessary things on a daily basis and complete the baby steps and just put away some money and take away some things you don't need, I mean, over time, it'll add up. So Rachel, thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Once again, if, if you really love this episode, you know, just reach out to one of us or leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And I'll make sure to, to put all of Rachel's you know, social media stuff and also the 14-day the offer from Ramsey.com slash hope in the show notes. And you're once again listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we will see you next time.